best feedback? I'm getting feedback. Okay, okay, okay. Just keep talking. Uh, thanks so much for having me over here um, from the Northeast. It's good to see so many new faces. And only a couple that I, I really recognize besides those in my teacher group. And I saw Haley Vett over there somewhere. I don't know that face. Um, but I thought, you know, because I don't know, just kind of do a little introduction, tell you who I am and where I'm from. I find that when I start talking about people that I know uh, and you realize that you know the same people, you like me better. So I thought it would be good just to kind of uh, fill you in there. I, I was baptized in the campus ministry of Arizona State University. So encouraging to see the, the guys up here making Jesus Lord of their life at that age. I was a sophomore, and I became a Christian at, at ASU in 1988. Preacher pointed out the old guy. I knew what he was talking about when he was about that song. I, I, I knew it. I must be old. Uh, I came up with brothers like uh, Mike and Pat Roth and Toya and Mike Niffin. Uh, Dave, Dave Eastman converted me there on campus. Um, and I spent three years in the campus ministry before I moved off to L.A. to plant that church. And so, uh, woo, are you from L.A.? We got one. Okay. I uh, spent four years there where I met my bride, Joy, um, Joy Bouquet. And uh, we got married there in Victorville, California. Um, we had replanted Victorville, California, a little house church before it actually became a church. Uh, and then moved off to uh, Phoenix, Arizona, where I was born and raised. Uh, we served in the ministry there under Joe and Annie Filippo uh, for about 10 years. And uh, from there I went to Seattle, and from Seattle I went here. So very grateful to, uh, to just be here and be teaching. Teaching really is my passion. Uh, it's something that I really love to do. Even when I was on preaching, people used to tell me, man, Greg, you're actually sounding more like Greg or more like teaching than, than, than preaching. Um, so that kind of gives you a hint that maybe that's where my strength lies. Uh, I am alive here today. So we're talking about maintaining our relationships with God. And by the way, I have to click all the way back to that camp. My clicker stops working. All you people have to see me from on this side of the room, okay? Can I get an amen? Okay. I want to get a little idea of who I'm, who I'm talking to. So how many of you have been Christians for 10 years or more? Okay, 20 years or more. Okay, 30 years or more. Just a handful of us. We're really old here. The reason I ask that is because some of the things I'm going to talk about tonight, uh, for those of us who've been around a while, um, may not make you happy. It may make you mad. I didn't know this until I, I did it in the Northeast and someone told me, yeah, you kind of move that face around. So, you know, just be ready. If, you know, if you're teaching and you're doing it right, you're probably going to make somebody mad. Um, but it's not, it's not my heart. Maintaining my relationships with God. And... Uh, when I was given the topic of this lesson, I thought the concept was important. Can you all see that? I thought the concept was important, but I struggled a little bit with the terminology. Because do I maintain my relationship with my wife? Okay, see? There's those signs. Um, how special would that make my wife feel if she knew that I maintained that relationship? Sisters? Okay, I gotta stay away from it, don't I? 
I'm a walker, so I might get trouble. Uh, so instead of maintaining the relationship, uh, I thought it would be better to discuss how can I uh, love God more. Like my wife, when I think about her, I don't think about maintaining it. I think about how can I love her more? How can I honor her more? How can I be a better husband? So I don't want to, and it'll be up on the screen. Here, here we go. So I don't want to talk about maintaining tonight. I want to talk about redefining. Okay? And that maintaining is crossed out. There should be a redefining going there. I can tell that in the left hand corner that's not there. That's okay. Um, so redefining my relationship instead of maintaining. And my thoughts are tonight. We're going to redefine what it's not, what a relationship is not, what it shouldn't be. We're going to talk about wisdom and understanding. We're going to talk about maturity and prayer. And we're going to talk about we're going to talk about the big R. What's the big R? Repentance. Yes, repentance. Um, did I get there to go? Let's see the heads. Can we just stay on top? No? There we go. Let's see if we can. Okay, repentance, the big R. Repentance. Okay, awesome. Uh, let me back up. Okay. We're going to start. You got your Bibles in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12. Okay. Now, this is the close to the end of the Israelites' journey in the desert. Moses is warning them again, encouraging them again, to yet again be faithful. And I say yet again because it wasn't the first time that Moses had done that. Sometimes Moses did it with encouraging words. Sometimes he did it with a warning to be faithful to the Israelites. If you see there, I have in red, or in that case it may be dark brown, uh, some words that I want to focus on tonight. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. When you look at this passage, for those of us who began seeking God for the very first time in our life, this is kind of the question, wasn't it? And for any of you who may be here tonight that aren't Christians, this is probably your biggest question. What does the Lord God want of me? Moses gives the answer to this question, and I don't think that the things he says are in that particular order randomly. I think they're in that particular order on purpose, because the relationship begins with a fear, a righteous fear. We know that the beginning of what? Of wisdom is, is, is the fear of God, and this is kind of where things begin. We all have to have a healthy fear of this God that we want to understand. Then the, the next thing he says, to walk in all his ways. That's the second thing, and that's where the relationship begins. If you walked up to me tonight and introduced me to somebody that I don't know, and I give him a hug, and he gives me a hug, and I know your name, you're my name, has that relationship really begun yet? But what about if you say, hey, Joe, why don't you uh, come walk with me? Let's go walk a couple of miles. At the end of that two-mile walk, I know a little bit more about them. The relationship has begun. And that's kind of the way it is with God. Uh, the next thing, if I had this fixed out here, my iPad would just be kicking around. I'm trying to do something. Uh, the next thing is the love. The love happens as a result of the walk. The longer you walk with somebody, the more you're kind of attracted towards them. The love begins.
is not one of the three reasons. I follow that. I'm trying to be the standard bearer for righteousness that he would eventually hand down to his next righteous son, which was Christ. Right? Because they killed Abel. Abel wasn't very righteous. So the next one was Christ. And so, because I'm a thinker, I couldn't help but think to this question. What was that like for Adam to be created, to have his kids and his grandkids and his great-grandkids ask him about my experience? Grandpa Adam, what was it like to see God? Uncle Adam, what was it like when you were Imagine how Adam would have taken the time to tell Seth, to tell Enoch, to Canaan about what it was like to be with God, what it meant to be God with him. That, that encouraged him. It had to have been that disconnect. It had to have been that type of conversation going on uh, with Adam and with those underneath him. But the second thing I want to point out about this is that Cain and Abel weren't, and Seth weren't the only kids of says in Genesis 5 that they had many others, as it does about Enoch and Canaan and Mahalaleel and so on and so forth. They all had many other kids. How many kids did he have in that other kids here? A lot. And yet it was Seth that became the next righteous son Amos 3.3. Write that down. Do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? Why was Seth the next righteous son? Why was Enoch the next righteous son? Some of them were called, some of them just agreed to be righteous sons. And they became our patriarchs. So one of the things we have to embrace here tonight, folks, is that we we have to agree together unless they have agreed to do so. And the next thing I want to show you here is the, the next, take the next one, the blue, the blue arrow or something, and look at Adam's end of life, and I'm going to zoom in. Look who he was alive for. He was alive all the way to Lamech's life, who was Noah's wife. Noah just was born right after Adam died. So that tells you that this good biblical world that we all sometimes get inundated by is not that great a bunch. These men were all living with each other in exile. And see, Shem, who was the longest living survivor of Noah's family, 
Christ, become you aware of the cross. Walking with God was something that was every moment of your life an activity. And so here's the question when I look at this and I always look back. Here's the question that I ask. Can't see it? Do you think any of them would know what a quiet time was? Sounds silly, doesn't it? They wouldn't know what a quiet time was. Because walking with God wasn't about quiet. It was about every moment of your life. Next slide. So if we're going to redefine our relationship with God and learn what it means to walk with him, we must first be honest with how some of us define it today. I stress the word some. This is not a blanket I'm throwing over all of us. But this is probably going to hit most of the old folks right now here with me. Okay? How do we define it today? The relationship with God equals the quiet time. Next, next slide. Without notes. that five minutes, that ten minutes, that thirty minutes, that twenty minutes, whatever it is, your your hour, it was quiet. And then the rest of the 24 hours doing whatever it is that you do. I'm sharing this one with Christy because I've watched her do this several times. I've had to overcome very legalistic mentality to get to that relationship with God. Here's why. Some of us struggle with that quiet time. Some of us have a hard time making it happen every day. Some of us go weeks without ever having a quiet time. Some of us never miss. If you're one of those people in 30 years, you can say, I never miss a quiet time in my life. Sure it is, bro, that's awesome. But it's a trap for both of us. It's a performance trap for both of us. It's a legalistic trap for both of us. Are you with me right there? What what do we have to do? If we're going to discover what it means to walk with God, what do we have to do? We have to burn down the quiet time. And we have to make our walk with God every moment and not just a 10, 30, 60 minutes. Are you with me right there? Be honest. Here's why I get in trouble. Because this is going to make some of you mad. For those of you who are often the too quiet ones, you're going to feel trapped. You're going to feel like somehow I'm attacking your relationship with God. Uh, the Bible does clearly say, do not be drunk, because Jesus was drunk very drunk when he was tested. I'm not going to get in trouble for saying that. Giving you this, I'm giving you the disclaimer here because this is where I got in trouble in the message of heaven there. Uh, because people thought I was trying to be sarcastic. I'm not. I'm not. The problem is, if you take a spiritual concept, it's not Jesus. And then you twist it that way. And uh, next, next, next verse. I took accountability and turned it into a chore. 
Thank you for being around Thursday to hear from us, Pastor Jeff. Had you thought time today, bro? Uh, no. Repent. We didn't have our quiet. Some of us older guys, we didn't have our quiet time that day. We screwed up out of bed at 12 o'clock just to say we had that quiet time. Because brother so-and-so asked me tomorrow morning if I had to have Bible study. Legalism. Quiet time is a barometer of our spiritual attitude. Oh, I've, I've got two priests. We didn't have a Bible study that day. Lord bless them. Two. One. You saved yourself because of not having that quiet time every day to speak to the Lord. If we do that for ourselves, if we do it to others, if we do it so we don't get through, to make ourselves feel Some of us older Christians in the area, you're like, I'm tired of that. Me too, bro. I just see it in the eyes. Some of you younger Christians, you're like, you just got baptized? I, I hope to really help you to grow beyond this mentality of I'm having a quiet time. So, next, we have to cast out the same framework that's based on strength and open our hearts to what walking with God really is on a moment-to-day I told the last time I, I taught this this sermon to the group, I said, just just for kicks and giggles and practice, get rid of the word quiet in your vocabulary. Stop using it. It's really hard. And next the very next week I'll be trying to explain quiet time to all of you. Get get rid of it. Try to get rid of it. And, and visualize what it means to walk with God all through the day. Okay? Don't ask somebody, how was your quiet time? Say, could you talk about your quiet time? Okay? Next. Genesis 17.1. This is what God tells Abraham to walk before me blamelessly. I want us to take a closer look at this word um, in Hebrew. It is very, very This word in Hebrew is halak, and it simply means come and let us go. It's an ongoing verb. It's a verb that many of you don't know. Any Hebrew speakers here today? Okay. I need to tell you this before I go on. In the Hebrew language, it's got 22 letters. I use the Hebrew language. Don't walk past the Hebrew language. Um, Each individual letter in the Hebrew language has its own meaning. Okay? In English, an A is an A. In the Greek, it's Tetris. In Hebrew, an Aleph is the first letter of the the alphabet, and it's also got its own individual meaning, separate from the Tetris. Okay? That's why I want to tell you this. Next verse. The first letter there is the He. That's the letter He. And its meaning is kohen. Uh, in fact, it's in the scriptures. It's a, a man looking at stone or something. But it means kohen. Uh, the second letter is the lamet. And that kind of looks like a shepherd's crook, right? Uh, and it means shepherd. The third letter looks like a hook as well, but a little bit different. And it, 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 its meaning is open-handed. 
So the word halak, which means come, let us go, means behold the shepherd with an open hand. Parents, when your kids are little, and you look at them today, do you put a shirt on? So when you get up, you really get up to walk to God. You feel as something I've got to do. It's going to be spiritual in nature. You need to get up. Wake up tomorrow morning and envision God going, I don't know. Walk with me. Okay? And then hold your hand. Walk by faith. Yeah? Okay, next. Passage, Amos 3.3, we do walk together, my favorite verse in the New Testament. Jeremiah 29, verse 13 says, you will seek me and find me when, that's a condition, when you seek me with all of your heart. Hey, Kaiser, just got baptized. Where are you at? Okay. I'm going to assume, with a pretty good assumption, that before you got baptized, you were seeking God with all of your heart. Well, you, you've got to say yes. Yes? But it's safe to assume that every one of you at one point before you got baptized was seeking God with all of your heart. It's not a one-time event. It's something that you should be doing every day of your life, seeking His face, trying to understand new and deeper concepts about God. It's not a one-time event. So let's look at the second part of that verse. Before me. Oh, this is ahead of me now. Did I do that? It's okay. Say this. Walk before me blamelessly. Uh, before me is the Hebrew word panim, and it simply means in front of me or in my sight. Uh, blamelessly, of course, is unimpaired, no other God. Now, in red, I thought I'd just park that there for a minute. Because inasmuch as it's been preached by the evangelists of this church, uh, of Drake getting involved in Social media is a huge thing. Uh, social injustices, conspiracy theories, they all are. Some of you younger guys, video games. Okay. Next thing. So that verse really should say, come, let us go together, always in my sight, unimpaired. wisdom. Okay, so we're going to move on to wisdom. That I just left my walking with God spiel. That's it. Now we're going to work on the importance of wisdom and understanding in our relationship with God. Okay, uh, first click. Um, the, the, the beginning of wisdom is what? Is what? Oh, wrong. 
Proverbs 4, 7 says the beginning of wisdom is this, get, get insight. Now, it does say, and there are passages like Peter's wisdom, right? Like Second Peter, like Second Peter. How important is wisdom? Very, very, very important. Uh, that's who in the first in the Bible is the first person that you think of when you think of wisdom? Saul. Saul, right? Next, next verse. Uh, it says there in First Kings that the Lord gave wisdom to uh, Solomon, just as He promised him. Okay. Now, this this whole wisdom thing as a young Christian kind of messed me up because I always. Um, assumed that the only way to get wisdom was through reading millions and millions of books and get married. I, that's what I thought wisdom was. 